Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to October's Movies Podcast. And joining me for this Star Wars Special Edition Movies Podcast is Steve Withers, Simon Crust, Kaz Harlow and Mark Botwright. Good evening, guys. Good evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. Evening. Evening, Phil. So this is going to be 45 minutes of us discussing Star Wars. Uh, Mark, you didn't buy the box set. Why not? Um, I just felt that I might be handing over my money through gritted teeth and I'd get through through to the end. I'd, I'd kind of forgive the original or I'd forgive the prequels by the time I got through to the originals until I got to the final moment when I heard a giant no and it would just spoil everything for me. And I just, I, I couldn't really hand over my money to George Lucas again. Fair enough. So uh, we'll, we'll leave Mark to discuss the, the merits of the Star Wars saga when we get to them a little bit later on. But let's kick off. Everybody in the forums has probably had a, a good chance to look at all six films now, depending, obviously, on which box set you've gone for. I know a lot of people just bought the classic trilogy and, and uh, ignored the prequels. And Kaz, um, you can't really blame them, can you, for, for ignoring the prequels? I mean, a, a lot of people out there uh, are in denial and... Uh, that these films actually exist. Yeah, that's well, that's that's fair enough. I wasn't a child of the original Star Wars films, so I effectively, I guess, that makes me some kind of bastard adopted child of the uh, prequel films, um, because obviously I was a lot older when they came out. But I, I, I'd never got into Star Wars other than the toys. You know, as you're a kid, you love the toys, but I didn't really love the movies. I think maybe. I think I just missed that. So, Absolutely. so st- I know. Well, someone has to say it. So, Star Wars for me really kicked off with the prequels. So, I got heavily into it. I got interested in the Clone Wars. I got interested in all the Jedi and in all the parallels between that and Japanese uh, culture, samurai, um, and the things that Lucas did, uh, ideas he adopted over the years, and just everything to do with the Jedi. Um, prequels are not good films. No one's ever going to say they're good films. But the prequels for me are vital parts of the Star Wars universe because they expand it in directions that otherwise wouldn't have been expanded. So the, the original films are great and they're fun and they're actually good movies. The prequels are not but they are um, a snapshot into uh, a period that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And as much as our imaginations are great, it's fantastic to see some of this stuff come to life. Um, so, so for that reason, I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they, they exist to give me the Clone Wars, to give me the Clone Wars graphic novels and Tartofsky's, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, his cartoons, and uh, even the Lucas-funded um, animated Clone Wars TV series has its moments. All of this w- wouldn't exist without the prequels. And from, from that point of view, I think it's, I think as a, a true Star Wars fan, maybe you have to embrace the expanded universe. Well, it's interesting you have that opinion because obviously I think you're the only one here, uh, maybe bar Mark, um, 
that that holds these films up with with any kind of um, creative <laughs> acceptance. Um, and I and I guess Steve, that comes down to the fact that, and and I'm not going to speak for for everyone here, but certainly for me, when I was uh, seven year old, 1978, uh, going to see the the film for the first time and remembering just how bad films were back in the 70s. It kind of exploded on screen, and uh, at that kind of age, expanded uh, uh, certainly a seven-year-old's imagination into all things space and and Star Wars. Yeah, no, I totally agree, Phil. Um, I mean, Kaz, unfortunately, I mean, I feel sorry for him really because, in a way, it, you, you've got no idea what it was like for a ten-year-old back in '78 to go and see Star Wars. I mean, it was not—it was like nothing you'd ever seen before in your life. It was everything I'd ever wanted to see in a film. It had, you know, it had laser swords and spaceships and, you know, laser laser bolts. And, and, and it just looked incredible. It looked, you know, had that used universe look to it. It was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, and, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, we're always going to be disappointed with anything that comes after that because I don't think any other film could possibly capture that feeling again. Um, so so in, a, in a way... You know, Kaz, you don't under, quite understand how it feels to be a child of that generation in just the same way as I couldn't understand what it would be like to be a child, you know, who grew up with the prequels, as, as, you know, being the predominant Star Wars films. I, th- I think from my perspective, though, the big problem with the prequels, and there's a lot of them, but one of the major problems is you talk about the Clone Wars, it doesn't happen in the films. It happens off screen, effectively, between films two and three, which kind of like a, feels like a bit of a cheat. No, very much so. I totally agree with that. The, it, it's one of the biggest mistakes made was too much time with Jar Jar Binks and pod racing and not enough time with the three most important, arguably most interesting years of Star Wars. They could have devoted a f- whole film to sort of a, a Saving Private Ryan-style approach to the Clone Wars. It could have been actually quite good, but it wasn't. It was just three years of something happened off screen, um, and look, we're at the end of it now. Uh, they, they ruined it. All, all of the best characters there, all of the... the I mean, the Jedi were never supposed to be generals going into battle, and um, thousands of them lost their lives during that period. We we never know anything about this. We we never know, you know, who Grievous is. He just comes in as this hacky, coffee, stumbling robot in the third movie, and who perpetually runs away from people. During the Clone Wars, he was the most feared enemy for the Jedi that he just went around killing Jedi and keeping their lightsabers as trophies. Um, Which you only know from watching the cartoon series. The cartoons and the... the I mean, you, you don't... It, it's, it's, you, sorry. The cartoons and the graphic novels provide so much background into the Clone Wars and show just what could have been done here. I mean, the, the reason why Grievous has a hacking cough, it's, it sounds stupid, but if you don't know that, you assume he was born to sound like an old man, but he doesn't. I mean, it's because during the Clone Wars, he confronted uh, Mace Windu, and Mace Windu foreskripped his chest, and ever since that point, he had a cough. It's, it just doesn't make sense that they would uh, not explain little things like that to give these characters um, some background because by throwing them right in in the Clone Wars with no background, um, you just assume the worst. And it is the worst. It's massively anticlimactic. I, I think it's um, it's one of the biggest mistakes he made with the prequels. But again, I would argue that without the prequels, we wouldn't have anything about the Clone Wars. They would just be a throwaway line in the original Star Wars film. Yeah, and to be and, honest, I wish it still was that, 
to be honest. I, I think sometimes be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And, you know, people think, oh, it'll be great to see the Clone Wars. It'll be great to see the Jedi in their prime. No, it wasn't, actually. The Clone Wars happened off screen and, the, and thousands of Jedi running around with lightsabers was unbelievably boring. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with you totally then. It's funny that you're bringing up the cartoon series because one of the arguments I always had was that... that especially after watching the Clone Wars cartoon series, was why were the films not like this? Why did the films not have the character characterization that these, you know, five, ten-minute cartoon clips have where, you know, there's relationships there with the clone troopers and the Jedi, especially Anakin and, and Obi-Wan with the, the generals. And it, there seemed to be more um, feeling and more um, atmosphere to those ten-minute cartoons than there were in any of the three prequel films. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Phil. I, I have to say that watching the um, CG animated Clone Wars series, I've actually quite enjoyed it. There's been some really good episodes in there and a genuine sense of fun. Um, and I think the reason that they're good is because they've got very little to do with Lucas, to be honest. Yeah, he's not directing them, is he? Well, I think he doesn't write them, doesn't direct them. Um, nothing, and, nothing to do with them. And so no, they're I think actually quite, they're quite imaginative and, and, and quite good. Yeah, I think he steps in occasionally to insist on a Jar Jar Binks episode. Because I can't honestly <laughs> can't honestly see why else he would be involved. Because as you say, I don't think he's got a great deal to do with them. But there's always a Jar Jar Binks episode. There's always a, a random episode where one of the droids just gets lost, or something like that happens. And I think he must come in and go. Mm, I want this one to be about this, or just say, yeah, you can make whatever series you like, but one out of twenty-two episodes has to have Jar Jar Binks in it for the, as the lead character doing something heroic like saving the entire universe. Well, one of the things that keeps getting thrown at the, the prequels is this thing that, oh, they're just kids' films, get over it. Um, but how many kids' films actually tackle political issues, which, uh, and I think, Steve, you said this, and I, and I think it's a it's a famous Simon Pegg quote as well, that the, the opening crawl text starts with uh, talking about tax wars and... Taxation of outlines. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's not kids' fodder, and... and the, the whole way that the film started, and if, if you haven't seen them, um, I think Harry Plinkett, in his reviews, uh, nails the whole thing about uh, how these are not kids' films and, and where Lucas has just gone completely wrong, which is why I think the uh, the, the CGI cartoons have so much atmosphere and, and so much fun about them is because there's, there's none of that element there or it's kept as a backstory, whereas in the prequel films, the whole Clone Wars was kept as a backstory which I think was wrong. Yeah, and the other problem with, with the prequels um, is he keeps talking about, you know, the two the two trilogies mirroring one another, you know, and, and beats in one being repeated in the next, uh, hence the reason why he added the no at the end of Je uh, Jedi to tie it in with the no at the end of Sith. Um, and yet, at the in Menace, he starts off with a, with a nine-year-old kid. If he just had um, Anakin be 18, 19, in other words, the same kind of age as, as Luke is when we meet him in Star Wars, it would have made a lot more sense in terms of the two films mirroring one, two tr tr trilogies mirroring one another. But it also would have made the relationship between him and Amidala more believable because there's no way in hell a girl's going to cop off with someone who she's known since he was a little kid, frankly. He just comes across in clones as a stalker psycho. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. But yeah. that doesn't help because it, Hayden Christensen looks like a stalker psycho, a psycho <laughs> and acts like a stalker psycho. I mean, he's, he's demonically sort of obsessed and zombie-like in his acting. I think that's just because mm -hmm. he can't act. <laughs> 
But well, yeah, really, I mean, but it's still I suspect he wasn't getting much direction from his director either. If I'm being honest, but no. if, he, if if it had him as uh, if they'd had him from the beginning, for example, uh, in the first film, at least there would have been three movies for the two of them to get to know each other. You know, they could have started falling in love in the first film. You know, got together in the second film. It would have you know, instead of actually have to rush everything through in the second film. And you don't believe it. I mean, whereas you completely buy into uh, Leia and Han's relationship developing an empire. You don't believe for a second <laughs> that there's any kind of real relationship between yeah. between Padme and um, and um, Anakin in, in clones. Not for a second. I, I think the problem with Phantom Menace was that as part of that trilogy, it makes no sense whatsoever. That film, it's it, it's almost a clone for how Star Wars: A New Hope was, but without any of the characters that were in A New Hope, like like the the scoundrel and the um, the kid that's going to grow up to be the hero and the old master and so on. There was none of that in Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace just makes no sense whatsoever. And I think as uh, as a set of films, you could probably do away with Phantom Menace and start at Attack of the uh, the Clones, and yeah, it'd be could. a better better run of movies. You could you could start from Clones, and you wouldn't miss. I mean, they introduce Qui Gon in Menace, and then probably kill him at the end of Menace, and you never hear about him again. So what's the point? Jar Jar practically disappears. Thank God after Menace. I mean, the two. There is, there is a. I'm not quite sure why he did that because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Just, just from a, you know, from a narrative point of view, that the whole of Menace doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know who the villains are, who the protagonists are. Um, you know, you got two characters pretending to be two different. You know, two two characters who are pretending to be two different people. I mean, it must have been really confusing for small children. What the hell was going on in that film? I think uh, it it spawned. Because from the idea that um, Lucas wanted to do a prequel trilogy about Obi Wan, and I, I, I mean, he he obviously wanted to write three films about Obi Wan, and then he decided he's going to write three films about Anakin because Anakin becomes Vader, it becomes more of an arc. But the original story is obviously Obi Wan's story. So, um, of all of the characters in Phantom Menace, it's his, it's Obi Wan's biggest arc. Because he's the Padawan who goes on to be a Jedi Knight. He's the the only Jedi to have killed a Sith in like two hundred years or something stupid. Might even be two thousand, but in a long time. And um, he he's the one who has the the story development over that or over that particular story. So I think maybe Lucas had kept a lot of his ideas from writing an Obi Wan trilogy and just kind of tried to merge them in when writing an Anakin trilogy. But you're all right. They should just skip that story and introduce Anakin much later on, and it would have worked better. Introduce him older, tell most of Clone um, Attack of the Clones in a first film, and then the Clone Wars in the second film, and then Sith in the third film. It would have worked much better. It's, but again, I'm I'm still saying that that we wouldn't even be having this discussion if these films didn't exist. You know, we wouldn't if even if those Tartovsky cartoons. Uh, there's only like twenty of them or ten of them, and they're only five minutes each. We still wouldn't have that if it wasn't for these prequels existing. So from that point of view, I'm still happy they exist. We see. I don't, and I'm not happy that they exist. Uh, Attack of the Clones and Seth are more Star Wars movies than than uh, Phantom Menace in the terms of. You get to see the the universe, and you have your hero characters. They're more defined in the second and third film than they are in the first film. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Steve, or not, but uh, that's certainly how I see those films. But the thing was, and I, th- I guess he was on a hiding to nine, to be honest, back in '99, because when real Star Wars fans heard about these films coming up, even Star Wars fans that had 
grown up with the films but forgotten about them or you know we hadn't had any major releases of them on the home format up to 99 um we had the re-release in 97 which you know whetted our appetite for what was to come when we get to 99 my best mate was a manager at a warner cinema when the trailer came in we spent um an evening with a projectionist just putting it on a loop and we watched it about 20 odd times 30 odd times i mean the anticipation was huge and the disappointment was even bigger uh, once we actually got to see the film. Uh, uh, that's personally from my point of view. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. Uh, um, it must be possibly the most disappointing experience of my life. Uh, after 16 years of waiting and the man and the, and the trailers were really good. I mean, whoever cut those trailers was a genius because they did. They didn't. They did, and if you watch the trailer again, they don't show any Anakin. They don't show any um, Jar Jar. It's all Obi Wan, uh, Qui Gon, and, and um, Darth Maul. And it looks like the best film ever made. You think this is going to be absolutely brilliant, and then within five seconds of that cra- that crawl starting, I'm thinking, what taxation about lying star systems? And then you find out that Vader created c3po and they start explaining the force in terms of midichlorians and by the end of it you're just thinking well the guy's just has he completely lost the plot it's like it's like he was reading rumors on the internet and then deliberately doing the opposite it's almost like he was you know being bloody minded about it yeah i mean the the funny thing is that i mean you you mentioned the trailer and i know a lot of people were disappointed by you know the script and all the talk of taxation of star systems and the like and it was it was quite dry and dull but it was actually the end fight sequence that i've got to say disappointed me the most because from the trailer it did look maybe it's just the way that the the score was integrated in the trailer it looked like it was going to be absolutely you know barnstorming but it it doesn't even though they've thrown more things in there and the jedi seemed that much more powerful somehow the fight sequences in any of the prequels just don't hold that same kind of tension. There's not that kind of aura around them. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like Yoda's fight with... Uh... Oh, yeah, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's cartoonish. But, but narratively, also in Menace, you can't have two good guys against one bad guy. That just doesn't look good. You know, they're ganging up on him. It should be two bad guys against one good guy. I think, that, I think that, that's a mistake. And and the, and the fight at the end of Sith, it was just went on and on, and yeah. it was so boring i didn't care i yeah. just didn't care the the thing with that last fight in in uh, phantom menace as well when they're going through the the power grids you know when the doors are opening and closing uh, what happened to obi-wan and his super fast jedi running yeah, yeah. i mean like, clearly they did that to separate the two of them um but having stopped the fight for a few seconds it would have been a great time for someone to say to darth maul who the hell are you <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean the guy pops out of nowhere it's like dude who are you what's the problem why are you gonna why yeah. Why are you trying to kill us? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, no, they don't say a word to anybody. You know, just, just kneels there. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're joking on about that, but what makes the, the Vader and, and Obi Wan's fight in A New Hope uh, interesting is is not the actual fight; it's what they're saying to each other. And um, yeah, same and, in, same as in the fights in Empire and in Jedi. Yeah, I mean, there's there's dialogue going on there, and there's. Uh, you get a feeling of defeat and 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 all the rest. Of it. Whereas, I mean, that that was just a demonstration of Ray Parks's choreography. I mean, there, there was nothing. There was no feeling. There was no uh, menace about it whatsoever. It was it was just showing off, you know, fancy sword moves and jumping about and 
backflips and high kicks and so on. And that was a problem with all the Jedi fights in, in the prequels. It was all about choreography and, and, and uh, martial arts moves and flashy sword play without any emotion, which is basically the problem with the, the prequels. There's no emotional core to any of those films. They're just jumped up toy commercials, as I think Simon Pegg described uh, Menace. And they are. They're just firework displays of toy commercials. You know, the reason that the Clone Wars doesn't happen on film is because they could then, you know, put out a load of TV um, serials and, um, you know, extended universe comics and books and basically milk us for yet more cash. That's why it doesn't happen on screen. Sorry, but you, you talked about kind of who's the, the protagonist and who's essentially the bad guy. And on, one of the things that kind of disappointed me about this whole idea of them being mirrored to the original trilogy which was I don't think they ever really found anything that was quite as cool or quite as an imposing threat that kind of cast its shadow over everything as the Death Star because it, it all tends to focus on Jedis, on kind of political machinations and that kind of thing. There was no great kind of push out into space. It didn't even really feel like like a proper space movie at times. You know, it, it just lacked that you know, all the things that made the originals great. There was no human core to it. You, you look at the battles, you've got uh, robots against clones. Well, who cares about either of them, really? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. They screwed up the robots. And, and I think um, it's an interesting point Mark makes about the Death Star because some of the, uh, some of the better episodes of the uh, animated Clone Wars series focus on General Grievous in a ship that can destroy planets. And he's going around vaporizing these planets, and they have to obviously stop the ship. And it's like um, a three-parter within the animated Clone Wars, which is actually really good. Um, and maybe they needed that grander scope. And similarly, in the graphic novels, there are a couple of oh, the Empire or the pre-Empire it, during the Clone Wars is creating um, a poisonous toxin which can destroy all. Uh, natural life on a planet which means that they can send droids in there send out this toxin destroy everything and the droids will obviously be fine and when they're testing it out on these planets it's they're actually quite interesting storylines the kind of thing that we never even vaguely uh, come across in the movies and it could make for good stories but i think though to a certain extent i don't actually want to know the details I, I think, t to a certain extent, good filmmaking is kind of enticing people, hinting at, at a, a history of a character and the like. And I, I like the idea that the original trilogy would leave it there. Yep. That, in fact, you had, you knew that there was something between Obi-Wan and Vader. You knew when they met there was that kind of electricity on screen. And I liked the fact that it left you guessing. Sometimes... This idea of giving the fans what they want, you're, you're only going to disappoint them because it's never going to be as good as, you know, how you imagine it would be. Yeah, which, which yeah, is right. what we discussed uh, in our last podcast about prequels and so on, was, was that very point. The other thing um, that I think made A New Hope work as, as a movie and which was completely forgotten about uh, when it came to the prequels was the fact that uh, A New Hope was told from the point of view of R2-D2 and C-3PO. It was, it was the lowest... Uh, common denominator in 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 the galaxy that was telling the story for us because we were following those characters, and that that stream of of movie making worked with the original trilogy with the suggestion as well about what had happened in the past and so on, where the prequels are, are completely void of that. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Phil. I mean, if you look at Star Wars, 
I mean, Lucas, you know, as you just said, Lucas was deliberately using some of the plot elements from Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. The idea that you'd see the, this big battle and these, these you know, princes, princesses and generals, but from the point of view of the lowliest peasant, or in this case, robot, um, was a great idea. And if you read the sort of the, the screenplays and the, and the treatments that he wrote prior to Star Wars when he was developing the whole story, you know, he threw a lot of stuff out, or at least he put stuff aside, which end, a lot of which ended up appearing in the prequels. Um, and and you, you get the impression that he kind of pared down the story to the absolute minimum of what he could A, afford to do, B, could physically do, and C, you know, what would just tell a, a clear, straight-through story. And in that sense, you know, thank thank God, because it made it a better movie. But by, by, by you know, when, once you give him all the money in the world and all the technology in the world, suddenly he makes the prequels. And that's what Star Wars probably would have been if he had that capability back in 77. Yeah. I think, you know, to a certain extent, not having things means you have to be more creative. Well, look, look at Spielberg and Jaws for a perfect example. I mean, if he had the technology that we have now, that film yeah, would, wouldn't be wouldn't half the film be. it is. No, it just because you don't see the shark. The shark's scary, and exactly. the shark wasn't shown because it didn't work. <laughs> I, I know there's, I know there's a lot of nostalgia with the old films, but it's, it's, it just, it doesn't work for for someone who doesn't isn't born in that period. I know we've had that conversation, but I, I don't get any of this. I don't get why you would. Uh, prefer the sword fights they weren't sword fights they were really old people kind of knocking sticks together they were they were well, really bad true, true and and the, the only only thing that i think was massively lacking in the prequels in comparison with the original films was han solo there was no one who could compare to him he was harrison ford he was very very cool he was very funny he uh shot people who were unarmed he, yeah he was great they couldn't well, compare to, to that. Armed. Yeah, they couldn't compare to that in the in the um, prequels. Um, but in in terms of, I, I think there was enough there in the prequels for me to care if Qui Gon Jinn was going to get killed. There was enough for me to see that the the Jedi getting wiped out at the end in a, in a montage in Sith, which is which they shouldn't have done it in a damn montage. But still, the Jedi getting wiped out was like. The, the samurai getting wiped out by the proliferation of guns back in the day it was it was a heartbreaking time of of the uh, the destruction of an, an entire race and culture it's um i i i got that from the prequel films and it was just a, a grander scale to that the, the old films had a lot of heart and a lot of fun and uh, the new films didn't have either of those elements but uh, they still had a lot which interested me we must what? have watched completely different movies because yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, old, the old films have you know coherent plots characters you genuinely care about he, he sensibly cast actors who basically were just playing themselves i.e as you just pointed out harrison ford's a cool guy in real life and he's just playing a cool guy on screen you know uh, mark hamill's very earnest and, and he is so on screen harry fisher was you know he, older than her years and, and showed that on screen and an it alcoholic was quite well later on yeah so you have a coherent story you have characters you care about you have, it's funny it's it's fun it's exciting and there's just enough you know backstory to, to make it all work whereas in the prequels there is none of that it's not fun it's not interesting and i don't care about anybody in it the jedi just come across as being a bunch of idiots frankly pretentious yeah pompous basically. yeah useless boring idiots yeah. who get what they deserve yeah basically i mean uh, the, the the thing is that I think the the original trilogy it's a space fantasy the the prequels there's none of that for me there's no fantasy there it's you know one of the things that, that that's annoying about this is is not just that the, the prequels aren't very good okay we'll accept that that's just the way it is but you know it's the constant milking of the fan base over and over again that's really starting to get to me I mean 
and this being a good example, you know, these box sets are the biggest selling catalog Blu-rays ever. And we all knew we, we knew that was going to be the case. But they haven't really spent a penny on these, have they? I don't care what they say. They've used transfers from four years ago. Uh, the extras are pathetic in the extreme. Uh, and the, the most, you know, the only reason I bought the box set really was for the deleted scenes. And most of those look like they've literally been picked up on the cutting room floor. Some of them are in a shocking state. They could at least clean up it, couldn't they? First, I mean, some some of it's just ludicrously bad. I mean, yeah. and the people on the on the internet are going like, "Oh, thank you, George, thank you." It's like you know, they're, as you just said, Phil, they're like abused children looking for love, and, and it, it borders on. on I, I'd feel sorry for them if I wasn't one of them too, frankly. <laughs> One of the, the best spoof videos, and again, I don't know why they put the spoofs on, on this set. I mean, that was like an hour and a half wasted. That could have, We could have had uh, Empire of Dreams or, uh, you know, an updated version of that or something else that was uh, more meaningful than, than spoofs. But I guess the best spoof I ever saw on, on YouTube was uh, the story of George Lucas. And it was like a trailer that was done where he's kidnapped in 84 and held against his will till 2010 or 2009. Um, and somebody else had written the prequels and so on. Although it was a spoof, there was a bit of truth in what that that whole trailer was was setting up, and that was the fact that he started off as an independent filmmaker away from the Hollywood system. He wanted to make films that he wanted to make. He wanted to self-fund it and so on and make the films, so he had yeah you know the option on on the edit and all the rest of it. And he he started up THX and Skywalker Sound and ILM, and because he wanted to be this independent filmmaker away from the mega companies, you know these global companies. Yeah, look at him now. Yeah, he's guys... become what he what he hated. Exactly, and that would make a fascinating movie. Well, isn't there a documentary called "The People vs. George Lucas" that's come out recently? That sounds quite interesting. Has anyone seen that? No, but I was watching a few bits about it today, actually, and they make some very very interesting points. Funnily enough, it's on that the uh, the the Harry Plunkett site. They 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 do a, a video podcast and they talk about it. they have the director there, much like um, we did, Phil, with um, with Mike that time. Um, and they discuss why and what it's all about, and they're they're all you know genuine Star Wars fans, as we are, and they are all saying the same things exactly what we're saying now. You know, they they love the thing, but why does he have to? Why does he do what does he do? Why does he pull these films apart? Why is he still tinkering with them now? Why are the releases? Biggest selling catalogue release ever. As he's still messing with them, you know, yeah, why can't yeah. he just well, leave the bloody things that, alone? He, why doesn't he release do the original? Why doesn't he just yeah, release well. the original thing? But you come <laughs> back. I mean, it, that kind of begs the question as to who decides when a film, you know, kind of when it is what it is. I is it defined? It, it, it never by, is. It, it yeah. never is. I mean, I've spoken to. I mean, we spoke to Michael J. Bassi, who's a director. I've spoken to other people in the industry. Th- these things are never finished. They have a certain amount of money, and once the money runs out, the film's released. Uh, or yeah. even before the money runs out, the film's released. So it's never, ever finished. So the, the other flip of the coin is that he's got every right to do what he wants to do with his films. I mean, that, that's the other argument. And I don't disagree with that. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that either. But the, the, the thing is, when you build up something like he has built up, and, and, and it becomes property of the fans, whether he wants likes that or not, it does. It becomes property of the, those people that have made him what what he is and given him the bank accounts that he has. Um, I think there's a certain argument there that why not release the original films? You know, why is he being so peg ignorant about it? Yeah, I mean, he's perfectly entitled, as you say, to do what he likes to his films. But at the same time, you know, give us the original version. So if, if he gave us, a, you know, the ultimate, his ultimate version of Star Wars and the original theatrical cut from 77, everyone would be happy. But the mm. funny thing is, 
these aren't even the ultimate versions because of watching them again there's still loads of errors in there and mistakes you think well if you're going to do it do it properly at least you know get in there is that one scene where you can see a wire hanging out the back of like, 3po's head yeah you know the, the lightsaber still look rubbish in some scenes in star wars mm-hmm. and, and funniest of all now it's in high resolution for for years i've been looking at the snow speeder battle and they're the straps that hold the guys into their cockpits and there's this strange looking material on, on, on the on the straps. I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. In high definition, you can see it's bubble wrap. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's bubble. Watch them again. Look at the uh, look at the straps when they're in the snow speeders. They've got bubble wrap stuck to them. Yeah, I mean, there's some other huge continuity errors between the, the prequels and the original films. We could be here for hours uh, going over it. I mean, because I mean, R2 is the another arc. Uh, between all six films, because his memories... He's the only, he's the only character who knows everything, because yeah. his memories are wiped. Yeah. So, so, so why can't he fly in? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, there's there's loads of continuity like that. And, and Chewbacca and, and the planet of the Wookiees, we, we never, we never, uh, we're never told anything about them. They, they just turn up, and I, I guess the assumption there is that if you watch the original trilogy, you know who the Wookiees are. But if you're coming in fresh... Who who the hell are the Wookiees? Who's Chewbacca? Yeah, true. And and does Luke never talk to Chewie and and discuss that he'd been to Dagobah to see Yoda and Chewie say, "Oh, I know Yoda. I saved him." <laughs> or or <laughs> when they're, when they're freezing Han Solo and there's Vader and C-3PO, why doesn't he go, "Oh, C-3PO, nice to see you again. How you doing?" <laughs> Since he made him, apparently. <laughs> You've been a real pal, 3PO. I'll leave you to look after Mum. Oh my. God, it just gets worse every time I think about it. <laughs> but, but anyway, back to the point you were making, Phil, which is an absolutely valid point, which is that Lucas dreamt about having creative control. But when he had creative control, he stopped being creative. That's the problem. If you watch Star Wars, you know, every frame of it, beautiful composition, you know, oozes you know, energy and style. And you can see a young filmmaker with real talent. You look, watch the prequels. This is a, a aging man. He does everything sat down with a coffee in one hand, looking at a, a bunch of video screens. It's all two shot, one shot, over the shoulder. Any any exposition scenes done, either sitting down or walking. Um, it's like just shoot it as fast as you can. Let's get it in the computer and do some effects. Well, well, the thing there's is, no imagination into the filmmaking at all. Well, it's funny you say that because there's one documentary. I think it's on the original Phantom Menace um, DVD, where you see the editing bay, um, and and looking at how he's editing the film, he didn't compose any shots. Because no, he's, he's actually he's actually cutting it, characters out and moving them about within the scene using mm-hmm. technology, and that's like well, a, a good director composes his scene for what he wants there and then and films it. You don't go into the computer and then change it all around because you made a mistake on the day or whatever. I think this is yeah. this is the the problem with him. He's he's almost like uh, he has to use the technology for the sake of using the technology. Where sometimes it's better just to shoot something on the day on on a sound stage. Uh, to give it that realism. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to the problem, the other problem, which is they're not on sound. You know, it's all green screen. They don't know who they're, what they're acting to, what they're, what they're, what's going on around them. They've got nothing. To, the actors are just standing there in an empty space with no point of reference, which must be bloody hard if you're an actor trying to get you, into character and think. Sorry, but do you not think that perhaps that was a, a conscious decision because of, say, the mauling the first film got to move away from sets and actors? Because clearly that's was no longer his forte if he's got this box of tricks that he wants to use and it, it you know the as the series went on it did feel more like a kind of experiment into you know digital filmmaking but that perhaps that was going to offer him more freedom and perhaps he felt that he'd have more scope to to you know edit rather than you know when something's constricted by sets and the like no i think i think directing star wars destroyed the guy as a creative force 
that's my mm. personal opinion. But I think that, yeah, because that the reason absolutely... Empire's good has got nothing to do with George Lucas. Yeah, I, I, I think Kirshner and Kurtz. Yeah, I, I think the strain that he was under making the original film destroyed the guy basically. Um, but there's no denying the guy is an absolute pioneer when it comes to technology and when it comes to uh, raising standards in Hollywood and all the rest. I mean, the guy should be given all the awards that are going in terms of technical brilliance in developing these technologies. It's just he can't use them because he's he's not a director. It's a shame, really, because if you watch him being interviewed in the mid-'80s, he talks about things like technology going... You know, he, he says you know, the important thing's a story. If you haven't got a good story, what's, what's the use of all technology in the world? Of course, he forgets that himself when he gets to the prequels. He also was went before Congress talking about, you know, keeping original versions of films and not having them colorized or changed. Once again, clearly he's forgotten his own words when it comes to his own films. Um, so that's kind of sad, really. I mean, he, I think he really has... Yeah, you're right, Phil. I think the process of making Star Wars nearly destroyed him. And it's interesting that there was an interview with Spielberg recently. I think it was it, it Cool News or, or it was one of those yeah, sites yeah. that did a, an interview with Spielberg. And it was really interesting because Spielberg's been a really good friend of, of George Lucas over the years. And you could always see that, you know, between the Indiana Jones films and, and, and other projects that they worked on together, Spielberg really bought into the, the whole technology thing. But it's interesting that interview that he seems to have done a complete 180 degree turn and uh, he now will not go back and tinker with his yeah. films at all. He really all. regrets doing it with E.T., doesn't he? Yeah, totally. So it's interesting to see his reaction to the technology and how um, he's not going to go back and, and tinker with things anymore. The big problem with Jedi, I think, is partly that um, because Empire cost so much money and went over budget and over schedule and he was financing it himself, and then eventually had to go cap in hand to uh, Prince Henry Fox in order to guarantee the bank loans. He never, you know, he never forgave Kurtz for, you know, almost losing creative control, effectively. And if you look at Jedi, it looks like what it is, cheap. It was made cheap. It was shot cheap. It's, sh it's lit like a TV show. There's no composition. Mark Wynn, you know, gets some guy, guys, non-union director in to do what he's told. Um, I don't know why Lucas didn't direct it himself, because you can see the footage, you know, behind the scenes stuff. He's just telling Mark what to do all the time. Um, he, you know, because he, he lost so much control whilst uh, Kirshner and Kurtz were in England shooting Empire. You know, he was all over Jedi like a cheap suit. And it's, you know, it looks like what it is. It, he, you know, in no way should a big budget uh, sci-fi movie have anything like the Rancor in it. I mean, that was a glove puppet and it looked like a glove puppet. Uh, I mean, that was a ludicrous effect back in 83 and it hasn't aged well. The only, the weird thing is they're watching all six in actual succession, you know, one to six, um, Bizarrely, when we got right to the end of Jedi, I was quite pleased to see um, Hayden Christensen again. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, Anakin. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think I've been drinking the Kool Aid too. Yeah, it, it's interesting right. what you say there between Empire and, and Jedi, because obviously there's the whole big dispute with uh, the Directors Guild. Um, yeah. For for which he he resigned because of the the crawl at the start of the movies. He wasn't uh, be, uh, being a union member. He wasn't allowed to do that. They, they, well, gave, was, they gave him dis dispensation for the first film, but nobody agreed to do that for the, for the subsequent films, and he'd, he'd gone against the grain, and that's why there was this huge argument. Because yeah. yeah, well, he could do it on the first film because he was director. Their yeah. argument was that DGA was saying, well, Kirshner, where's his credit? But Kirshner said, I'm quite happy to do this because it's part of a, you know, a distinctive style for a Star Wars film. Yeah. And yet they still fined Lucas. Lucas paid the fine and then resigned. And then, you know, you know he's very pig-headed man if nothing else you know? yeah but the big disappointment there for me and and i guess maybe this is just what yeah. you were saying earlier on mark about how fans wish for for certain things and then end up getting what they deserve but spielberg was supposed to direct jedi yeah yeah and couldn't because he was a union member 
So, you know, what could have been? At one point, it was going to be David Lynch. What could have been then? That would have been incredible. <laughs> Jedi directed by David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> he went and made Dune instead. So, <laughs> Can you just imagine Jabba's palace under his direction? Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> As opposed to the knees up at the Muppets that it's become now. <laughs> <laughs> So let's just step back a little bit um, from the discussion about the the whole ethos of the whole Star Wars thing and the whole behind-the-scenes story. Let's actually concentrate on the Blu-rays just for uh, a few minutes. And uh, we've got Kaz first. Kaz, the prequels, uh, how did they stand up uh, sound and picture-wise? Everybody expected the prequel trilogy to be perfect, uh, and it isn't. But it, it is pretty good. The The biggest problems came with the first of the three films, Phantom Menace, because it was the only one to be shot on 35mm. And uh, pre-digital, it was always going to suffer the most. The trouble is that they've done a lot of uh, DNR and a lot of work to the image to create a, a mottled effect, which varies from pristine to really shoddy. And some shots look truly like they're from an animation rather than a feature film. Uh, I think uh, Liam Neeson's face in several scenes looks plasticine very, very odd, as bad as you've seen in the shots you might be able to pick up off the web. Um, but some shots do look exceptional. And I, I, I would say that um, Phantom Menace hasn't looked better than this in the sense that they've done it using um, the, the wider scope. So they zoomed in a bit for the DVDs, and at least we get the full range. Attack of the Clones um, was the first to be shot digitally, but is quite an old film. And at the time, although they came up with a very crystal clear, pristine image, they thought it didn't look film-like enough. So they uh, overlaid it with sort of a matte, soft um, coating, which made it look basically pretty bad. And we haven't since been able to get rid of that. So uh, as as much as Attack of the Clones is shot digitally and does look better than Phantom Menace, it's not um, as good as it, it should be. And it's certainly not as good as uh, Sith is. Um, it is also a bit of a bone of contention among some fans who prefer the fact that Phantom Menace has its moments of glory, whereas Attack of the Clones is just generally better at an average level, but never great. Uh, Sith, demo quality all the way. And uh, you wouldn't expect anything different, but it was a different time by the time they came to, to shooting Sith. Um, across the board, though, they've managed to make wonderful... Um, soundtracks to accompany all the movies, so there really aren't any complaints there. Uh, I think as that the, the, the um, you're absolutely right that there was excessive DNR on on uh, Menace, and and clearly that's deliberate on their part in an attempt to make a film shot on 35 millimeter film look digitally shot clones and 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 Sith. So I suspect that's a, that's a deliberate um, you know a deliberate decision on the part of Lucasfilm to do that in order to try and make the three prequels more more of a coherent um, trilogy. Uh, I think as far as clones goes, um, as you say, it was shot back in 2000 on very early digital cameras. And I don't think it's ever going to look any better than that, to be honest. Um, and Sith, which was shot back in 2003, you know, is pretty much state of the art, at least then, and still looks fantastic now. It, it's it's strange that, that you, you get to the point where you see, you know, a, a film shot on film and they've had to deliberately, uh, you know, deliberately kind of smooth it out and take out of the grain. As, a, as, a, as an artistic choice in order to make it um, match two other films that were shot digitally. I guess it says a lot about digital production compared to uh, to film, basically. 
Okay, so moving on from uh, the prequels, let's go to the original trilogy. They were never going to look uh, the same as something that was shot in 2003, um, even though they were shot, uh, you know, in 35 mil and uh, plenty of resolution and so on there. One of the things, certainly with A New Hope, was the, the techniques that were used, certainly for the desert scenes at the start, um, when we were on Tatooine, they're using a, a lot of filters in front of the, the camera lens to give it that um, almost soft focus look uh, around edges and so on, and that's very, very obvious with the uh, with the HD transfer of that. But it's a point that you go into, Steve, as well. It's pretty obvious that they're using the, the 2004 digital masters that, that they did for the DVD set back then, and they haven't updated it now. A lot of talk about they should really do I mean, that was a 2K scan. A lot of people saying they should have done a 4K scan for this release and, you know, cleaned it up a little bit and so on. But could they really improve it that much more? Well, it just feels, yes, I think they could have. I mean, if if Warner Brothers can spend a million dollars and spend three years doing an 8K scan of a 65mm print of Ben-Hur, I mean, how many copies of that are, going to, are they going to sell? They're not even going to make the money back on that. That's just done for the love of it, really. They know they're going to sell more copies. You know, they're going to sell these Blu-rays like, like a cure for cancer. And and yet they couldn't be bothered to do new prints. And that, that just smacks of laziness and, 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 and mean cheap. They're basically being cheap uh, and sloppy, in my opinion. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, this is a company that um, is it supposedly at the forefront of uh, Hollywood technology and image technology and sound technology and so on. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Any other guys? Well, it's it's cynical, isn't it? I mean, really, it's will it sell? Yes. Um, could they have done better? Yes. But ultimately, the first trumps the second. It will sell, and that's that's all they really need to do. You know, it, it's sad that you know companies that pioneer so much technology and champion it can get sloppy. But you know, the bottom line is is how much they make off it and. You know, we'll no doubt see perhaps towards the latter part of Blu-ray's life cycle something better come out. Yeah, I mean, has anybody seen the the trailer for Red Tails? Yeah, which I have is, actually which really is, good. Which is the latest Lucasfilm uh, film, obviously shot on on the latest cameras as well as uh, Canon DSLRs. It doesn't look like film. So, uh, you know, everybody's saying they want these better transfers and all the rest of it, but. Uh, certain care has to be taken so so they still look like film at the end of the day and we don't want something that looks like Red Tails, do we? That that just looks completely like a, a documentary series? Well, no, but it, it can be done. Look at The Godfather, look at Braveheart, look at Taxi Driver. They're brilliant transfers. They're old films, why can't... Yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm saying, Simon. What I'm saying is that, there's, that you know, the way that Lucasfilm and Lucas does things is that if he, if he was to go and do another transfer, you know he's going to mess about with it. You just know oh, yeah. he's going to mess about with it. I well, mean, I, would, just... I wouldn't mind that, to be honest, Phil, if, if, if they did a good job. If they're going to do a new transfer and they're going to fix all the problems and make you know, correct all the mistakes, well, fine. Didn't do that. Do it properly. But what we've got is this half-assed minimum effort, maximum return box set. I mean, the nine-disc box set is, quite simply, one of the worst box sets I've ever seen from a major release. Yeah, the I know. Cover, I the cover is boring. That that painting of Luke is terrible. The 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 menu system is 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 just plain shoddy and really difficult to navigate and keeps crashing people's um, Blu-ray players. The extras are woeful, woeful extras. I mean, yeah. that ninth disc is a complete waste of space. <laughs> yeah, totally agree with you. I mean, you know, it's it's the, what were they thinking? It's like they just didn't. It's almost like, yeah, well, they've all, I suppose their, their argument would be, well, you already own the DVDs and therefore we won't give you the same extras. 
which I suppose you could say is a valid point if you gave us good extras instead. Yeah. But you don't. You, you get you get things like you said before, like you know documentaries about people dressed up as stormtroopers. I don't care. No offense to them. I actually know one of them, and I don't care. You know, a parody, an hour and a half on Star Wars parodies. What a waste of disc space. Yeah. You, you said it before, and it's absolutely true. It just seems to me like a shoddy, cheap, nasty. You know, just put out something that will sell like hotcakes, and we'll do something again in three years' time when we've done the 3D transfers. You know, rather than uh, the type of box set they've released on, on on this occasion, I'd have been happy for the definitive edition updated for Blu-ray. You know, the old Laserdisc collection where you had the hardback book and the three films. I'd have, well, I'd, well, I'd have been in my element that with were that. on the DVDs originally. Like yeah. you say, the Empire of Dreams documentary was a very good documentary. The documentary on Menace, the beginning is an absolutely superb documentary, a real behind-the-scenes look. There was stuff in that that I'm surprised they put in that documentary where you can see Lucas thinking, you know, have I gone too far? Is the kid going to work? He can't yeah. act. How am I going to get out of this problem? Does the film work? Really, really warts and all stuff in that documentary. It's a great documentary to watch. Um, not there. Um, all, the, all the deleted scenes that were on the DVDs, not on the box set. Yeah, um, those Presumably are... because they finished those scenes at, four, at 480p, uh, is my guess, and couldn't be bothered to pay you know, money to do, you know, update the effects. All right, calm down, calm down. Sorry. <laughs> You've had your rant. A- anybody agree with, with Steve's point? I mean, I agree with him 100%. Anybody else? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I agree that the, the spoof thing is a bit mad and, and the, uh, the 501 Legion, that's a bit mad. But I did really appreciate getting the, uh, the original behind-the-scenes um, documentaries um, from the uh, 77, uh, 1883. I mean, I remember seeing, well, certainly I remember seeing the first two um, when they were originally out on television, so to go back and see them again after all these years was uh, was great. Have you not got YouTube? Uh, <laughs> yes, I, 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 do I have agree. With They've you, been um, on YouTube for years. Those those documentaries. Yeah, so there's absolutely well, nothing yeah, new about. I don't watch computer like that. It's just nice to have the physical medium, isn't it? Yeah, we're, I do agree we're, with you. We're Blu-ray reviews. That they don't include um, Star Wars from. Uh, was it, there's, there's one called I think from Jedi. No, from Star Wars Jedi: The Making of a Saga. That one wasn't included. So you know they didn't even include all the all the sort of uh, legacy documentaries that, that that they could have. Um, in fact, I, I watched a documentary on YouTube. Funny enough, Phil, it was called um, I think Star Wars the, Be- uh, the Begins. Star Wars Begins. That was it. Some guy basically taking the film. It's quite a good idea actually. And it's the film, but he puts in you know commentary bits, voiceovers, cuts to deleted scenes, cuts to shots of production behind the scenes stuff throughout the course of the film. And that was infinitely more interesting than anything that was on that box set. And that was for free on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the, the technology was there to do seamless branching. They could have put the original films, uh, the original trilogy films on there as seamless branches. There was so much that they could do. And, I mean, the cynic in me says the the reason that this has been released now is to get people to buy Blu-ray players and then give it two or three years, we're going to get another box set. Of course we are. Well, we know we are because of the 3D thing. That's when we get the decent transfers as well. Yeah, but I mean, that, I'm just, I mean, if you compare the Star Wars box set to, say, I don't know, the Alien box set, as, a, as an example of a film, well, at least the first film was you know, about two years later, and you've got all those extras, every single extra ever has been included in that box set, and the print, and particularly Alien, uh, uh, looks absolutely spectacular for a film from 1979. Uh, why couldn't they have done that? It just, it just smacks of, you know, of cynicism, as you said. Um, yeah, but I think it, it also, it seems like the first of, and two box sets that are going to come out because like you compare with the alien box set they they had a lot of that already on dvd but it wasn't finalized and the, the dvd the the uh, like the alien anthology wasn't that old 
So, um, so th- no, no, I, I agree, think Kaz, that... but they could have done a, a Star Wars box set and included all the extras that they've already done and all the other stuff. Oh yeah, but I th- I think they're planning on doing that some somewhere later down the line. So I think it's purely a cash thing. Well, how, mu- um, how much money does George Lucas need? Well, you know, but how much money can he have? If if he's got fifty billion and he could have like a hundred billion, why would he not go for a hundred billion? I mean, it's 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 ludicrous <laughs> money for us, but I mean, he's he could buy a different ranch, couldn't he? How about a bit of integrity? Uh, I, I think well, that, that passed a long time ago. Yeah, that went with Howard the Duck, I think, to be honest. But I think I think I was I I I was also disappointed with it. But I mean, I I don't know whether I expected anything different from all of the extras. I don't know whether I expected that this is this is what we were going to get. It's it was never going yeah, to yeah, be. My expectations were low because they've been lowered over the years by by constantly being abused by this guy. Yeah, I mean, but, I, interestingly though. Watching the uh, original trilogy in high definition, the bits that looked the worst, uh, and this I'm talking about Star Wars mainly here, the bits that looked the worst were the stuff they put in back in 97. Yeah. They looked very soft and very poor, yeah, I have that, to say. The effects were ropey as hell. Yeah, the scene with Jabba. Yeah. Well, just I that. mean, Jabba's out of focus. Well, yeah. that, why do they put that? I mean, aside from putting it in because they could, why do they put that scene in? For two reasons, you don't need that scene. One, because he couldn't do it at the time. He rewrote the Greedo, the Credo dialogue to explain everything that was said in the Jabba sequence, so it's not needed from that perspective. And also, it ruins the whole reveal of the Millennium Falcon when Luke goes, "What a piece of junk!" Which is, you know, it's it's yeah. just it's just I don't know. What, what, there's no reason for that f- scene to be in there other than to try and do a Jabba effect, which didn't even look very good anyway. It's it's like that yeah. that line in uh, Jurassic Park about using DNA. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Yes, I definitely think that's something about Lucas because uh, you know you watch the the films and he's always is always there's always a shot of Tatooine or somewhere and suddenly a CGI creature just rumbles past and you're thinking well that doesn't really look like it's in place there does it? Um, and I think that's that just that's just what Lucas is about. But he's well, but he's not the only the, director to fiddle around with films and it's not the only release. We had two Lord of the Rings. Blu-ray releases, which was totally unnecessary. I mean, he's not the only director or part of a production studio which likes to milk something for all it's worth. If you if you want to compare how many editions Lord of the Rings had, it's had a lot more in a lot shorter time frame than Star Wars. Yeah, but they were better. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, why so many? Why do you why do you need why did we need Blu-rays of the theatrical editions with with not very many extras? We'd already had um, the theatrical editions, the extended editions, the limited edition theatrical editions, and the extended box sets on DVDs. Why the hell did we need to go back to the theatrical editions on Blu-rays? But for money, that's that's the only reason it, it, they exist. And yeah, has, I, I don't think to... we should be too surprised that Lucas took the same route. He, he has to fund The Hobbit, doesn't he? So that's why we're getting so many Lord of the Rings releases. Uh, I'm not sure whether he needs any money any more than Lucas does. Lord of the Rings was phenomenally successful. You know, Lucas spent half his money earned on his wife during the divorce, didn't he? Yeah, you got to remember, though, that um, Lucas funded his stuff from his own pocket. Uh, it was certainly the, the second and third film in the original the trilogy. Uh, Jackson, it was, it was on New Line and Warner that put the, the cash up for that, so... A little bit of difference there. I don't think Jackson's on a pauper, pauper though, is he? No, no, he's not. I think Weta are doing quite well for themselves. But then that goes, that goes. Look at their digital. I mean, these days Weta are streets ahead of ILM in terms of uh, effects. 
And my, my point, go back to my point, which is, you know, if you're going to add scenes to the Star Wars, well, fine, do what you like, but at least do them well. I mean, the, the effects are, are, ter- are not good, basically. Yeah. They're yeah. very poor effects. Oh, it's when, when I see the speeder going into Mos Eisley. Oh, that's just so... Yeah. Why? You can just hear all the Star Wars that, fans that CG, shout, shouting up um, at one scene. getting no. off the back of the Go onto um, the internet and download. Uh, there's a guy called AD Wan who's done a fan edit of Star Wars keeping all the best bits and getting rid of all the rubbish that Lucas has put in and it looks really good and it's and it's infinitely better than anything Lucas has done. Yeah, but the thing there is that he's changed a hell of a lot about the films as well. So Yeah, yeah he's also fixed a, things a, that have always bugged me. So Yeah, but then he's completely changed scenes as well and completely changed the flow of scenes really, and that kind of thing. He's really edited so. a couple of scenes, um, one of which is when they first... Uh, when when they were in Obi-Wan's um, um, hut looking at the hologram of Leia, which actually, when you watch it, the film, you realise that it doesn't make a lot of sense because it does jump backwards and forwards from two completely different scenes in that. I don't know why they did that in the original uh, original edit, but uh, they did for some reason. Okay, so Blu-rays aside, we're all still Star Wars fans just at this moment in time. Um, so I guess from all the six films, Mark, which is your favourite? Uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty hard to look past Empire Strikes Back. It's... It's the darker of all the films. It's it's the more emotional. It's just it's got more much more punch to it, I suppose. For a bit like Kaz, you know, I wasn't around for when these films first came out, so it, it that I never really had that great attachment to the original, to A New Hope, simply because you know, for me, they were films that were on kind of at Christmas time or the like. You know, I didn't go to the cinema to see them, so I I immediately gravitated towards. Empire. I think it just, you know, the best film, and not by Lucas. And so, it, you know, it shows it, it's it's mature in composition and and characterization, and and the ending is just still absolutely superb. Yeah, I mean, Empire is my all-time favorite, definitely, without doubt. I could sit and watch that over and over and over again, and I love Princess Leia in that one. Boyhood Crush, and it's still there. Not Carrie Fisher, <laughs> Princess Leia, in that moment in time, in that film. But no, even uh, soundtrack-wise, I think it's John Williams' best work is, is Empire. I mean, you've got the Imperial March, which is, you know, it, it, play that tune anywhere in the world. It's like Jaws, people automatically know what it is. Uh, but there's also other classics in there, like the, the asteroid scene and uh, Yoda's theme. And, um, and, and just as a package, it's just such a great film for me. Uh, Steve? Yeah, I'll go with Empire, definitely. It's my favourite. Uh, although obviously, I guess Empire is my favourite in terms of, as you say, it, it, it's it's a more mature movie. It's got better characterisation, um, great acting, really good direction. Um, the effects are top notch. The score's superb. But obviously, from an emotional, you know, for nostalgic reasons, I'd have to pick Star Wars just because of the, the experience I had when I was ten going to see that at the movies. Yeah, it, it yeah. was just I mean, uh, unbelievable. Star Wars close second, but Empire's just it's just the perfect Star Wars film, and everybody loses in the end, which is great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that says about us, but never mind. Simon? Uh, I agree with everything that you've said there. Um, Empire is, is my favourite film um, of, the, of, of them all. Um, but I, uh, I think I'll have to go with Star Wars for the simple reason of what uh, Steve just said. Harking back to 1977, seeing um, Empire Leicester Square on the second day of release. Um, it's just something that I will never, ever, ever forget. And... Uh, the narrative of the film is just brilliant. So, um, although Empire is a better film, I will have to go with Star Wars as the as my pick. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you say that. I mean, as soon as you said that, you know, sitting at the Empire Leicester Square, I wasn't so lucky. I was sitting in a an old hovel uh, in Scotland, but uh, my grand grandmother at the time was uh, she was working there, and, and I got in over the school holidays. I must have seen it, oh, almost every week, twice a week, uh, because she was working there, and, and I she was obviously looking after me during the school holidays, and I was plunked in a seat to watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> but Empire, in terms of filmmaking, score, everything else, Empire, but uh, the memories, Star Wars definitely, Kaz. <laughs> well, it's always going to be the controversial one, wasn't it? Because I wasn't even born when Star Wars came out. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't get Empire in, in everybody's minds because I can't see how it couldn't exist without all the other films. So it's really difficult for me to understand because it just ends on a cliffhanger. And so I can't separate it from the other films like everyone else appears to be able to. Um, and similarly, I'd probably say that about the whole Star Wars universe. I don't. If I was going to pick a film to watch again repeatedly, um, it would probably be the first of the Star Wars films, not the prequels. The the first of the original trilogy, um, just because it introduced Han Solo, it had Alec Guinness in a more prominent role, um, it, it had more going for it with the, the background into Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress, I'd go with that. And if I was to pick a, one of the prequel films, it'd be Sith, because that's the only one that actually has anything decent happen in it. Um, but I, I can't see how any of these films could exist without each other. So, so Empire, for me, was always... Um, brought down a little bit by the fact it was followed up by a film with um, Teddy Bills uh, Ew- Ewoks in them so so I couldn't get away from that because Empire was, was really dark really e- ended on a dark note and uh, Return of the Jedi started off pretty good but devolved into teddy bears and um, I-, I can't disassociate those two elements <laughs> I think that I think the darkest and the creepiest thing about Empire is the fact that Lando dresses up his hand right at the end when they go off yeah. and <laughs> he's wearing the same clothes what is with that well maybe he just borrowed some clothes from Hans Locker on the phone because <laughs> he had to leave uh, Cloud City in a bit of a rush didn't he he not time to pack yeah, so, like that yeah I suppose so, uh, so he's, he's wearing Hans, Hans clothes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay so that wraps up our Star Wars Bonanza podcast hopefully um, give us your thoughts what do you think about the box set what do you think about uh, the films in general what do you think about Lucas you know, should he be hung up for what he's done to uh, some classic films there's loads of stuff there for you to ponder over and give us your thoughts or you can send us an email at podcast at all I need to do now is thank Steve Weathers Simon Cross, Kaz Hallow and Mark thanks very much cheers Phil cheers, cheers Phil, Phil. Cheers, and, Phil. and don't forget we'll be back with another movies podcast on the 7th of November until then take care enjoy your movies and we'll see you again soon The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.